And can we just celebrate being together at church this morning? Man, amen. You guys can have a seat. Hey, my name is Josh, and uh, I'm one of the pastors here at ACF Church, and I am so grateful that you would take a moment and spend some time with us this morning. Uh, if you're a guest of ours, if it's your first time coming, or maybe it's your first time watching online right now, we just want to say welcome, and we are so glad that you are with us today. Well, we kicked off a series last week called How to Doubt, and last week we talked about how all people, all people, all of us will struggle with doubt in our lives in some way or another. And, and maybe you're here this morning or maybe you're watching online this morning and you're like, yeah, I doubt this whole church thing. I doubt God exists. I doubt Jesus ever rose from the dead. I'm not even sure that the, a man named Jesus even existed. Like I, I am full of doubt. And if that's you this morning, can I just say this? Man, I'm, I'm super glad you're here. Like, I feel honored and, and grateful that you are here because I want you to know this is a place you can come and ask your questions. This is a place you can come and wrestle through your doubts. And, and so maybe that's you this morning, and maybe the only reason you're here is because your mom made you come, or your neighbor invited you, or a co-worker invited you, and you're like, i just kind of here to be polite. Well, thank you for being polite, and we're glad you're here with us. Uh, but, and maybe you're in this room today, and you're like, man, I'm a follower of Jesus. I've given my life to Him, and I'm a Christian, but... I still got some doubts sometime. Like, it's kind of hard to believe everything. And I just want to say to you, I'm glad you're here. This is a place you can come and wrestle through your doubts. And that's okay. And that's what we talked a lot about last week. But moving forward in this series, what we know and understand is there are very specific reasons and oftentimes very common reasons which cause people to doubt which cause our minds and our hearts to swell with doubt. And so we want to like meet and tackle some of those reasons head on. And we want to discuss those things. And so today we're kind of kicking off this journey with this question about how to doubt. How do I doubt in the middle of the storm? How to doubt in the middle of the storm? I want to read Matthew 28 right now with you guys. And, and it's about a storm. See, Jesus was with his disciples and he was out doing ministry, and thousands of people are like flocking to Jesus, and he's healing them. He's lame people are walking, the sick are being healed, demons are being cast out of people. Like, it's a trip. All this stuff's going on. It's crazy. And then Jesus is like, hey, yo, guys, I'm tired. I need to take a nap. You ever been there? You just need to take a nap? Amen, right? Yes. Kids were off for almost a month in December. Like, yes, they need a nap. And Jesus was very human, and he was like us. He's like, I'm tired. I need a nap. So he tells his disciples to go get a boat because they're going to go out in the middle of the sea where people can't continue to flock around him. And this is where we pick up the story in Matthew 28, starting in verse 23. It says, he got in the boat, and the disciples followed him. Suddenly, a violent storm arose on the sea so that the boat was being swamped by the waves. But Jesus kept sleeping. He's taking his nap. Don't wake him up. So the disciples came, and they woke Jesus up, and they were saying to him, Lord, save us. Listen to this. We are going to die. And he said to them, why are you afraid, you of little faith? Then he got up, and he rebuked the wind, and he rebuked the sea, and there was a great calm. And the men were amazed and asked, what kind of man is this that even the winds and the sea obey him? You know, I was, 
I was reading this passage and I was thinking to myself, like, have I ever been in this kind of storm? Like, this was a big storm. Has anybody here ever been in a really big storm before? Like, any fishermen in the room or, like, you're from Florida, so you get storms. So, like, yeah, people, a couple of people raising their hands, like, this was a really big storm. And as I was reading this, it dawned on me. I'm like, man, like, half the disciples were fishermen. They grew up on the water. They knew how to handle a storm, and yet this one must have been so great that they thought they were going to die. And I don't know if you've ever been there in your life, in in a situation where you think you're going to die, like, actually, like, well, this was a really stupid decision, shouldn't have done this, and I almost died. I've been in that situation many times because I'm not very smart, and I get myself in these places. But the disciples wake Jesus up, and they legitimately think they're going to die. And they're like, what are you doing, Jesus? Why are you allowing us to be in this storm? This is not the script. This is not how we thought this was going to go. We were doing ministry. People are, are getting healed. Demons are being cast out. All this incredible stuff is going on. Like, we're on a mission, Jesus. And now you're the one who brought us out in the middle of the sea. And what was that? To kill us? Like, we're going to die now. And you can almost hear the question in their voice or the statement in their voice, right? They're saying, like, save us, God, we're going to die. But what you hear in the middle of this is, Jesus, why is there this storm happening? Like, Jesus, we thought you're supposed to be all-powerful. We thought you're supposed to be all good. Then why are we going through a storm? And that is the question that I think fills our hearts with doubt. I don't know if you've ever asked that question before, but I would be willing to bet that if you've ever been through a pretty severe storm, that question has rolled through your mind. God, why are you allowing me to go through this storm? I thought you were all good. I thought you were all powerful. And yet here I am in the middle of this storm. What's the deal? And I think this is the, I think this is the very question that has caused so much doubt in people's hearts. It is the question that has caused people to not even believe in a God. At least not believe in this, like, God of the Bible, right? Who's supposed to be all good and all powerful and yet allows bad things to happen. Like, this is the question that fills us so full of doubt. And and, and the question, God, if you're so good and so powerful, really what you hear is all of these, but God, what ifs and why nots, right? What if, you, what, what if you just caused the storm not to happen? Or why, why not? Why, why did it have to happen this way? Why didn't you just save me from the storm? Why didn't you just even stop the storm from coming? And this question is typically full of a lot of pain. And understandably so. But this is a question that I want to I tackle today. I want to go down a, a road with you guys. I want to go on a journey with you this morning. I want to go down the journey of this question. God, if you're all good and you're all powerful, then why are there storms? Why is there suffering? Why is there evil? And as we go on this journey this morning, I'm going to promise you two things. Okay, I want to promise you two things. The first one is this. I don't have all the answers. Okay? I don't have all the answers. I don't want to pretend that I have all the answers. And I don't want you to think that I have all the answers for your storms and why we're going through, why you're going through your storms. And and to be honest, I don't have all the answers to even these deep, deep philosophical and theological questions. I, I don't know everything, but I do believe that God has shown me some stuff and revealed things to me through his word that I want to talk about with you this morning. And the second thing that I want to promise you is this. 
And that is that there is a very real God right in the middle of your very real pain. If you're going through a storm this morning, if you're watching online and you're in the middle of the storm, and maybe that storm just kept you from even being able to get up and come to church this morning because you're so full of doubt, I want you to know that there's a very real God right in the middle of your very real pain. So let's begin, shall we? Let's go down this journey. So I want to start with this question. Have you ever had the wrong expectations for something? Ever had the wrong expectation? Ever, ever have an expectation for a movie to be the greatest movie you ever saw, and then you went and saw it, and you're like, meh, meh. And in, in reality, the movie was actually really good, right? But your expectation was so high that it just turned out bad. Or you ever had that expectation, like you go to a restaurant, and people are telling you, like, this is the greatest Thing you'll ever put in your mouth. Like, this is the greatest food that will ever touch your lips, that will ever go into your stomach. It is the greatest ever. Don't ever give someone that expectation because what's going to happen? They're going to go to the restaurant and be like, eh, it's good, but it wasn't like the greatest thing I've ever eaten. Right? And, and it actually diminishes what would have maybe been a really good experience. I remember my son, Cyrus, he was about probably six or seven years old. And one year for Christmas, he wanted this toy robot. I think, if I remember right, the toy robot was called, like, Mac. It was, like, the hottest toy of the Christmas season that year. And, and, and the thing about this robot is it was, like, voice command. You could tell it what to do, and it would do it. And so the first part is you, you build the robot. So Christmas morning comes. He's so excited. He's, he's seen the commercials, and he's just so excited for this robot. So we, we build a robot. It takes us like two days to build a robot, and then the, fin- the time finally comes where he gets to tell it what to do. And it gives you like these instructions, like how to work the voice commands. And so he would tell it, Mac, go forward. And it would like, it would like roll forward. And he'd be like, Mac, go backwards. And it would go backwards. Say, Mac, raise your hands. One hand would raise, the other hand didn't move. It stayed like this. I don't know why, but it just didn't move. And, then, and so Cyrus is getting really excited. He's got these really high expectations. The next command out of Cyrus's mouth is this, Mac, go spy on my sister. <laughs> Mac doesn't do anything. Mac, go, he's whispering, go steal Ceri's blanket. <laughs> and he's like laughing around the corner. Mac doesn't do anything. And he's just like, Dad, I think it's broken. I'm like, no, Cyrus, like, your expectations are, like, way up here. Like, he thought he was going to take over the world with this thing. I have a robot, and it does what I tell it to do. But he quickly found out his expectations were misguided. And Mac quickly found himself in the corner collecting dust. And the gift became not as exciting as it was. And, and he misinterpreted the gift because of his expectations. I think we do that often. We miss out on the gift because of our expectations. And the gift I'm talking about is this life itself. And I don't know why, but I think I do know why actually. But in our Western culture, in the Western culture that we live in, we have an expectation that life is going to be easy and there are going to be no storms. We have an expectation of that. And, and I think it's because we've become so far technologically advanced and medically advanced and all of these things that, yeah, we, we've come far enough, we've advanced far enough in knowledge that life will, should be easy now. But in Eastern cultures, they do not have this perspective. They know life will be hard. They know that there will be storms. See, when, when we go through storms in the West, typically our question is this, God, how could you allow this storm? 
In an Eastern culture, they, they, they say this, God, help us through this storm. It's a big difference, but we expect life to be easy, and because of that, when the storms come, it really rocks our worlds. And the thing is, Jesus promised us that there was going to be storms. He promised us that there was going to be storms. He told us that there would be storms. John 16, Jesus says this. He says, I have told you these things so that in me you would have peace. In this world you will have, what does it say? Trouble. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Right? See, we think that peace means no storm. Peace means no storm. But that's not what Jesus says. He says, no, peace means that you have peace within the storm. You know that I'm with you within the storm. See, when, when there's no storm, you're really not engaging the peace in your life. Just like when the kids are at school, you're home by yourself, you have nothing to do, you're not engaging in patience. You don't have to work patience out. You're like, I'm such a patient person right now. No, you're not. <laughs> no, no, go to the post office. Now you get to engage in patience. <laughs> right? When, when there's no storm, we're not enacting peace. We're not given the peace of Jesus. No, we get the peace of Jesus when the storm comes. We have to have that expectation in our life. And I, I want to take a side note for just a moment and explain something that many of you know, but I believe many of you may not know. And that is, why do we have storms to begin with? Why are there storms in our lives, in this world? Did God just create humanity in this world just so that we would suffer in it? Absolutely not. Romans 5, 12 says this. It says, Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, so, and, and, and through sin, death entered the world. And that way, death spread to all people because all sinned. You see, through one man, sin entered the world, and through sin, death, and death to all people. See, when humanity sinned, when humanity did what God told them not to do, when humanity said, look, God, I know you said that this is the best for us, but I believe I know better than you. When humanity did that, sin entered the world through one man. And when man opened the door for sin, sin held the door right open for death to enter behind him. And death and sin, they go hand in hand. So why is there storms? Why is there suffering? Why is this world so difficult sometimes? Because of sin. That is the ultimate reason. And I've even heard people say, well, Josh, I kind of understand that. Like, I can get my mind wrapped around that humanity is sinful, so humanity will do bad things to humanity. But what about, like, the random things? What about the, the hurricanes? What about the earthquakes that kill thousands of people, like, in India? You know, those kinds of things. Yes, yeah, sin affected that, too. In fact, in Genesis chapter 3, God is talking to humanity. He says, look, because of your sin, the ground itself is cursed. And then we read that creation itself is waiting and longing and groaning for the return of Christ because, because creation itself knows that when Jesus returns, he will reverse the curse of sin and death. And so this is why there are storms in this life, the ultimate reason. Now, your personal storms, like there's hundreds of reasons for those. 
But this is the ultimate reason why there are storms. But I want to get back to this idea of, of expectation. Like, do we have the wrong expectation? How many of you guys, I have a question for you. How many of you guys um, moved to Alaska? You're not born here. You moved to Alaska. Just show of hands. Majority of the room. That's awesome. Now, question for you. How many guys, when you moved to Alaska, you expected snow in the wintertime? Okay, if your hand's not raised, man, you got sold something. Like, <laughs> man, if you didn't expect that. You see, when, when we come to Alaska, we know there's going to be snow in the wintertime. We have a great expectation of that. In fact, I would argue when there's like not snow in the wintertime, like about six years ago, we went through like two or three years where there's like very little to no snow. That's when people started complaining. We expect snow in the wintertime. So what do we do about it? You move to Alaska, what do you do? Maybe you buy a snow shovel. Maybe you buy a snowblower. Maybe you get a plow for your four-wheeler or your truck, right? Like you prepare for snow. Like, like your family prepares. The, like the, the, the city's supposed to prepare for snow. And like everybody's prepared for snow, Uh, for, no, never mind. Just no. okay. We're prepared. I didn't mean to derail us. Stop it! Stop it! Stop it! It's my fault. We're prepared for snow, right? So what happens when we get four inches of snow overnight? We wake up in the morning we're like, ah, oh, dusted a little bit of snow. We go and we scrape it off our car, just wipe it off, and off we go into life. A minor inconvenience. I had to drive a little slower on the Glen to work today. That's it. We're prepared for snow. But what happens when it snows four inches in Georgia? Armageddon. Call the National Guard. The governor's declared a state of emergency. Right? It's like everything's canceled, not even until the snow's gone, until it dries out. Until I can see dry pavement. Hired someone in the first service saying, look, I remember them canceling school because snow was in the forecast. Never actually snowed, but we had a snow day. Right? Why? Because no one's prepared. No one has snow tires. They don't have snow shovels. The city's not prepared for this because there's no expectation of snow. And, and it's so true in our own lives. When we, pre- when we expect a storm, we prepare for the storm, and we don't have to be lost to the storm. When we expect a storm, we prepare for the storm, and we don't have to be lost to the storm. So often, storms come in our lives, and I have talked to so many people, I personally know so many people that had a storm come into their lives, and they're like, that's it, I I can't believe that there's a God anymore, and just walked away from it all, and they were lost to the storm in their life. We have to prepare for the storm in our lives. So the question is, how do we prepare for the storm? What, What do we need to do? What do we need to do if we're trying to prepare for the storm? And and this is probably the best answer I know to give you, and that is this. We cannot dissect, inspect our theology, our understanding of God's goodness, of God's power in the middle of the storm. Too often we wait till the storm hits, and then we go, oh, hold on a sec. What do I believe about God's goodness Oh my goodness, this storm is hitting me hard. Like, what do I believe about God's power and his sovereignty? I, I don't really know. I just kind of, I never inspected it before. I never built it up. We have to learn to build the foundation well before the storm ever hits so we have something to hang our faith on. 
too often the storm will hit us and, and we can do nothing but collapse in the middle of the storm. And believe me, I've been there. I do not mean to diminish the storms that we go through because sometimes they are nothing but hell. And I know that to be true. And all we can do is collapse. But when we have no foundation to collapse on, we get swept away in the storm. See, Jesus, he tells this story of, of, of two men, right? They're building houses. And many of you know this parable. It's a very famous parable. One builds his house on the sand. One builds his house on the rock. And what happens? The storm comes and it hits them both. First of all, the man who built his house on the rock, he doesn't miss out on going through a storm. Not like the storm avoids his house. No, his house gets hammered by the storm. And this is a big storm. It's big enough to destroy a man's house. But you know what was not happening in this story? What was not happening is the guy was going, oh my goodness, the storm's coming. I better start building a foundation for my house. This could get real ugly real quick. No, he had a foundation already built. So when the storm came, his house stood. But too often we are not inspecting our theology. We're not in inspecting what we believe about God. We're not in the word of God. We're not talking about our faith with our friends and our family members. We're not living out our faith on a day-to-day -day basis. And maybe it's like, man, Sunday is my faith day. And the rest of the time is my time. That's not inspecting your theology. That's not understanding what you believe about God. But when we in involve ourselves in community, when we involve ourselves in serving people, when we involve ourselves in, in actually telling somebody else about the gospel, like if you want to know what you believe about God and the gospel and faith, like, start telling other people about it, because you'll figure out real quick what you know and don't know, what you believe and don't believe. And so we have to learn to expect the storm and to prepare for the storm to come before the storm gets here. Now, I want to I shift gears for just a minute here, because I understand this. Like, sometimes in life, we just need a logical answer. Now, I... I I don't believe that just strictly logic is ever going to really help a situation, but I remember in my own life where I, I grew up in the church, and I had a deep belief in the goodness of God, the sovereignty of God. I had a deep theological kind of understanding about this, but I didn't have like a logical theo uh, theological understanding. Like, I believed it in my heart, but my brain, I couldn't wrap it around yet. And I believe that we are logical creatures, we're also emotional creatures. And so I think we need to understand who God is on a logical level, on a theological level, uh, on an emotional level. We need to understand God in all of these places in our lives. And so for just a minute, I want to talk about the logic behind the question, if God is all good and God is all powerful, then how can there be evil and storms and suffering in this world? Because I do believe that there's some logical explanations for this question. So we're going to go down this road real quick. I want to unpack this question and this answer. And this is not the be-all, end-all answer. There, there's a lot of discussion that we can have around this. But one simple, and I think the first step to the question, if God is all good and God is all powerful, then why is there suffering and evil in the world, is to understand the question is flawed. The problem is not with the answer. The problem is with the question. See, what it's, this question is what is known as a trilemma question. There's three pieces to this question. Good, powerful, evil. Three things. But the problem to the question is we don't serve a trilemma God. God is not boxed into this good and powerful, and that's it. He is so much more than just being good, and he's so much more than just being powerful. He's well beyond that. He is outside of that box. 
And so a few things I want to talk about what God is and who God is beyond just being all good and all powerful. And the first thing is this, God is eternal, which means he has no beginning and no ending. I feel like I can understand the no ending piece, but the no beginning thing, don't try to think about that too much. You'll hurt yourself. You will hurt yourself. Like before time, before the fabrics of reality were ever created or existed, God was no beginning. Don't think about it too hard. But no ending either. He will always be forevermore. God is eternal, which means, which means he sees the beginning of your storm and he sees the end of your storm. God sees it. And the storms do not surprise him. It's not like he's going, oh, I did not see that coming. That storm was not on the forecast. It was supposed to be sunny skies today. I, I am sorry, I missed that one. No, he sees it all. Your story beginning and end, and like the story beginning and end. He sees it all. He's eternal. The, uh, the next thing God is, is, is called omniscient, which means he is all-knowing. All-knowing. And because he's all-knowing, he knows the plan that he is working out in your storm. He knows the plan that he's working out since the beginning of time. He knows what's happening. He is not unaware He is not caught off guard. He is not surprised. He knows exactly what you're going through, and he knows exactly what you need. And he knows exactly the plan that he is working. He has a plan. He's not in heaven going, "Mm, what should I do now? I didn't expect this storm. We're in the middle of the storm. What should I do? He's not doing that. He knows exactly what he's doing. He is all-knowing. And the other thing, he sees well beyond your existence. Like another expectation that we just have is like a life is about me. But he sees beyond your existence. He understands that there's a ripple effect in your life. And, and the way you walk through the storm is going to have an effect on people in your life. And the effect that it has on people in your life, that effect is going to have people that these people are connected to. And that's going to have an effect that these people are connected to. And a hundred years from now, people are going to come to know Jesus because of the way you walk through the storm today. And if you don't believe me, look at the disciples. Eleven guys. One of them didn't do so hot. The rest of them saw Jesus die, raised from the dead, ascend into heaven. And they committed themselves to the mission to go into the world to preach the gospel, to baptize. And these 11 men quickly turned into 120. And 120 quickly turned into 3,000. And 3,000 quickly added another 5,000. And all of a sudden, you're seeing a ripple effect go through human history to where you are sitting here today because of these 11 disciples. And do you think they understood that there was going to be storms? Like, do you think Peter was being executed upside down, being nailed to a cross, going, God, wait a second, I thought you were all good and all powerful. Why is this storm happening in my life? Or do you think Peter was going, God, you have all of the glory in this. See, every single one of them was killed. Well, every single one of them was killed for their faith except for one John, but it wasn't for lack of trying. They tried to kill him. He just wouldn't die. Every single one, none of them were going, God, I thought you were all good and all powerful. Why am I going through this storm? No, they understood who God is and that he was working out a plan. And then we see that God is omnipotent, 
which means he's all-powerful. He will not be overtaken by your storm. He will not be overtaken by the storm. He is working all things out. He's powerful enough to work all things out for the good of those who love him, is what Scripture teaches us. Even the very hell that you walk through, he can work it out for good for those who love him. And then finally, he is omnipresent. He is everywhere at the same time. You are never alone in the storm. Never alone. David says, where can I go? If I go to the mountaintop, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. Where can I go? I cannot escape your presence. That literally every nanosecond from hu- of human existence, God has been present in and still currently is present in. There's not been a nanosecond where he was not there anywhere. He is with you in your storm. The storm does not remove you from his presence. But here's the truth, and I know this to be true, and you need to understand this also, that no logical answer will ever heal your personal pain. Only a personal God can heal your personal pain. There's a lot of people, many of you in this room, many of you watching online, who have suffered greatly in the storm. And knowing the answer so often, we go, well, why? I just want to know why. But that's never going to heal your your pain. Only a personal God can heal your personal pain. And I've, I've heard this question many, many times before. In fact, a very, very close personal family member asked me this question one time. And they're like, okay, I kind of can wrap my mind around some of this, but here's the question I have. Why did God even make us to begin with? Like, if he knew we were going to suffer, if he knew we were going to go through storms, then why even create us? He knew we were going to sin and reject him, and yet he still made us, and we suffer because of it. I would have rather just never existed. I mean, that's a, that's a fair question. It really is, and maybe you've asked that question before. And my answer to that is this. If you've ever wanted to have children. Maybe you have, maybe you don't. But if you've ever wanted to have children, why? If you know that your children will suffer, you know your children will get sick, you know your children will be angry at you, you will hurt your children, they will hurt you. And ultimately, you know 100% someday your children will die. You know they will suffer. Why do you want to have children? Because of love. Because you have a great love in your life, in your heart, in your soul. That you want to have children and you understand that the love is greater than the storm. This is why God created humanity. Because he is so magnificently full of love. That his love is not even comparable to the storm. His love is greater than the storm. And he's not afraid of the mess. We get afraid of the mess. God is not afraid of the mess. And you need to know this. Before you suffered, he suffered. Before you mourned, he mourned. Before you were ever in pain, he took on that pain. Isaiah 53 says it this way. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their face, he was despised, and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took upon what? 
our pain. And he bore what? Our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned our, uh, each of us has turned our own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. See, Jesus took on your pain, the pain that you went through in that storm. He suffered it first. So he knows what you have gone through. He knows what you will go through. The storm that you haven't even walked through yet, Jesus has already walked through. And he carries it, and he is with you. Peace in the storm. See, here's the truth you need to know. Here's the expectation is that your story is not over. Your story is not over. See, the, the ultimate comfort in the storm, the ultimate comfort in the storm, the ultimate theology for a foundation that we need to understand in the storm is that the story's not over and that victory has already come. The ultimate comfort comes from the end of the story, that, that this is why Jesus suffered. Why? So you could experience the end of the story today and you can end, experience the end of the story when it comes. What is that end of the story? John saw it in person and he wrote about it in the book of Revelation. And he said this, Then I heard a loud voice from the throne. Look, God's dwelling with humanity, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and will be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Grief, crying, and pain will be no more because the previous things have passed away. I love this end piece of this. It says, Then the one seated on the throne said, Look, I am making all things new, everything new. He also said, Write these words down. Write these words down because these are faithful and true. He's saying, These are faithful and true things, John. I'm going to do this. The end of the story. The end of the story. Paul writes about this in 2 Corinthians. He's writing this to people who are being killed for their faith. And this is what he says in 2 Corinthians. Therefore, we do not give up. Even though our outer person is being destroyed, our inner person is being renewed day by day. For our, listen to this, our momentary light affliction is producing for us an absolutely incomparable eternal weight of glory. So we do not focus on what is seen, but what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Momentary light affliction. Not to diminish your pain, not to diminish your storm, but in, in the shadow of what is to come, in the shadow of the end of the story, it is momentary and it is light. Paul says it like this in Romans, one of my favorite verses. For I consider the suffering of this present time, the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing to the glory that is going to be revealed in us. He says, don't even compare it. Don't even compare it. Some of you guys have heard of Admiral Jim Stockdale. Some of you guys have not. But he was, he was a prisoner of war during the Vietnam War for seven years. And he gets interviewed uh, in in, in, in uh, Jim Collins' book, From Good to Great. And he asks 
Jim Stockdale, he says, how did you survive seven years in a Vietnam POW camp? And his answer is, is absolutely brilliant. This is what he says. He said, I never lost faith in the end of the story. He said, when I asked him, I never doubted not only that I would get out, but also that I would prevail in the end and turn the experience into the defining event of my life, which in retrospect, I would not trade. He knew the end of the story. And the end of the story wasn't he would survive, but he would prevail. That is the end of our story. Peter calls it a living hope. And so I want to invite you today to not just hear these words, but to actually maybe put them into action. And, and on your seat, we do this every single week. There, you, you had a card when you came in, and at the bottom of the card, there's a little section that says action steps. I want to invite you to fill that out, check one of the action steps, and drop it in the baskets when you leave, because we want to just be praying for you. And these are the action steps this week. The first one is begin a relationship with Jesus. Maybe you've been filled with doubt because if God is good and he's powerful, how, how, how can there be evil in the world? And that's been the thing that's filled your heart with doubt for so long. And maybe Jesus this morning is revealing himself to you. That he's bigger than just being good and powerful. He's so much more than that. And you just need to put your faith in him. The second one is this, to join a serve team or a small group. At ACF, we believe that God created us to be in community. We also believe that you can't go through the storm alone. You were never created or designed to go through a storm alone. And that the best way to go through storms is in community. And at ACF Church, this is how to be part of community. Our serve teams are a community. Our our, our life groups are community. And we want you to experience godly community to carry you when you feel like you can't go any further. And so maybe you, you just need to join a serve team or a small group. Number three is this, begin to pray the dangerous prayer. Holy Spirit, if there's more, I want it. 100%, we need the power of the Holy Spirit to walk through these storms. We need the power of the Holy Spirit to lay a good foundation. We need the Holy, power of the Holy Spirit to get out of bed in the morning. And the Holy Spirit has more for you. And maybe you're like, I don't know about this Holy Spirit thing. That's okay but I would still challenge you to make that prayer a daily prayer of yours. Holy Spirit, if there's more, I want it. And finally, number four, I want to invite you this week to ask Jesus, where were you in my storm? He will reveal himself to you. He will show you that you were not alone. He was right with you in the middle of the storm. And I just, I want to close with this thought. I want to go back to Romans 8. When Paul says, look, the, the, the suffering that we experience in this world is not comparable to the glory that is to come. To think about it this way, do you think that 10,000 years from now, when we are in the glory of God, experiencing his glory in our lives here on this earth, that literally every moment of existence will be more joyful than the last moment we experienced? That it is going to be no tears, no pain, no sorrow, gone forever with our God here. Like, do you think you'll be going, yeah, but man, back in 2023, I walked through this thing. And God, why did you love? I don't think we will. I don't even remember them. And, and maybe this morning you just, you need to be reminded 
from an old but deep verse. this moment in prayer. <laughs> Jesus, thank you. Thank you that you took our pain. You took our suffering. You were crushed. You were beaten for us, God, so that we could know you, so that we could be with you today and at the end of the story. Jesus, thank you that you are truthful and that this will happen. God, I pray for those going through the storm right now in this life. God, and they may be going through hell. But God, you are there. Help them see you in this moment. God, carry them. Let them just collapse into your arms. God, be present in our lives. God, help us to be present in our lives with you. And God, when doubt swells up, Lord, let us just remember your truth. We love you, Jesus. Amen.